Hey guys, welcome to this week I learned. First things first, I would like to apologize for the delay because I've been busy for the past few weeks trying to uh, move to Manila because of my new career move to IBM. So that said, uh, I'll try to post more frequently from now on. So let's get started. First thing I want to talk about is the plan to create a Google Developer Group in Leyte. Right, so this will be under Google Developer Group Cebu initially, and then later on, if uh, we, could, we become more uh, used to doing the activities that Google Developer Groups usually do, then we can be a standalone Google Developer Group in later. Yeah, so that said, we'll still be connected to the other Google Developer Groups like in Cebu or Manila. Right, uh, we are planning on doing an event uh, late this year or, or early next year and we're looking for core members and volunteers if you're up for it and you're in region 8 please contact us and that will be all so please look forward to uh, the events and the uh, creation of Google Developer Group later Next thing I want to talk about is Cypress, which is an end-to-end -end tool which is quote-unquote fast, easy, and reliable for testing your browser application. So this is a node package, an npm package, so you can install it by running npm install cypress space dash dash save dash dev or you can uh, use yarn and use yarn add dash d cypress, which is spelled c-y-p-r-e-s-s you know the tree thing yeah so it's an end-to-end -end, uh testing tool which is uh similar uh yeah it's an end-to-end -end testing tool so it's like uh it's like selenium right something like that and then one of the cool features of it is it has uh a ui right so when you open when when you run Cypress Open, it opens up a UI which run which has the list of tests that you've created. If you've created tests through Cypress, and then you can click on your test, and then it opens up the browser, and uh, runs your tests. And on the side, you can see the tests that are being run, and on the right side in the browser. You can see uh, the actual testing, like if you're clicking it, you're scrolling on the page, etc. So you can also, for the different steps of your test, you can click them and backtrack and see what is actually happening in a particular part of your test. So you can see if your test is erroneous, if or if there's actually something wrong with 
the develop with the actual code that you made because the test is failing so and you can use that because you're in the browser you can use that information and also when you open up the chrome dev tools when you click on a particular part of the test it gives you a bunch of information that you can use to debug your your tests or your code right so again uh cypress is also an open source tool so it's free and uh yeah you don't have to pay for anything uh you you can pay if you want if you want uh extra support and if you're running on if you if you want to use their web offering but if you uh yeah if you don't need their hosted offering you can just uh use it install it there's no problem also uh, since uh, it's in a UI, you can't use it. You can just use a Cypress Open if you're running, if you're using a CI system. So instead of that, you can use Cypress Run, which is, which doesn't open the UI and just runs all the tests, right, without opening a UI. So so it would be similar to something like you know Mocha or like uh, Jest. So it just runs the tests, no UI, it just runs. And then it tells you which tasks uh, succeeded or which ones failed. And that's it. And one of the other cool things uh, is that it creates a video after that. So it shows you what uh, what happened in the test uh, in the form of a video, which is pretty cool. Which is the first time I've ever encountered something like that. So if you want to try something else, if you if you're not uh, if you're done with your unit testing. You can do. You can try and use Cypress for integrated and end-to-end -end testing of your applications. It's pretty cool. It's uh, one of the best I've ever encountered. So, and I've tried Selenium, and this is way better, I think. So, if you want to try something out, if you want to try end-to-end um, -end testing, uh, definitely try Cypress. If you want to do simple Python facial recognition, try out Adam Geitge's facial uh, face recognition library. So it's uh, search A G E I T G E Y, and then face underscore recognition. So that's Adam Geitge's library, and it's very easy to use. And I think it uses uh, DLive for for uh, analyzing the faces. And then, yeah, it's simple. Just import it into your project engine, and then get images uh, as files. And then, uh, it it just needs one image. So it's technically not machine learning. It to some extent it is AI, but it's not machine learning. So it tries to learn the image that you gave it. So which, uh, yeah, so the face. And then if you give it another image of the same person, it tries to recognize that person that it is this person. Right, so it converts the face into a bunch of numbers. That's the representation of the of that unique face, and then it uh, does the same for the incoming image and tries to see if they're similar. So if you want to use something easy uh, and you don't want to code the facial recognition part, but just the rest of your of your application, you can use uh, facial recognition uh, face rec underscore recognition by Adam Geitke.
If you're a fan of ReasonML, which is Facebook's functional programming language, then you'll be excited by this sketch.sh thing. So sketch.sh is basically an interactive ReasonML notebook. Well, it's also an interactive OCaml notebook, but the first option is ReasonML, right? So it's an interactive notebook. If you're familiar with, uh, if you're familiar with Jupyter notebooks, right? If uh, you know Jupyter, Jupyter Lab. If you're familiar with that, then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It's basically, um, you can combine a bunch of things, and you can create uh, interactive uh, Reason ML code in there. So you can just uh, write. ReasonML in a pretty looking format. It actually is pretty, pretty, really pretty. So, write your ReasonML code there and share it with people, and voila. So, it's pretty exciting. So, if you want to just try out a uh, simple piece of code and share it with people, that'd be great. Right? Uh, that's uh, one thing to help ReasonML reach more people. I think this is a great tool for that. Right? And also, ReasonML is not that well known yet, so there are not a lot of people who know how to deal with problems in ReasonML. So this is one thing, uh, this is one tool you can use to actually help people uh, who are having uh, problems with ReasonML. Because you can just write your ReasonML code there and then share it with them, right? And you can also combine words in there, you know, like notebooks, like cheaper notebooks. So like if you're interested in ReasonML and you would like to see something like a Jupyter Notebook for that, try out sketch.sh. Have you ever written documentation and when you change your code, you forgot to write and edit your documentation it sometimes that happens and you know when we edit our code and we didn't notice our documentation changed our users will uh, think that you know the library is crap so in elixir there's this thing called doc tests which allows um, your developers to add tests to their documentation that's insane. So basically, you can add uh, like a call to run that function in your docs, right? So uh, as an example of how the the application, how the function would run, right? And then, but the thing is that those uh, calls actually do happen, and if they do not. Uh, happen as you expect they fail so if if you even if your code actually passes the tests but the documentation is not uh, uh, it's not updated is not what you expect then the compilation of your application fails so that's one thing that is pretty awesome when I think about it I think you two will think that it is pretty awesome, uh, which is a thing to actually sync the doc 
uh, the documentation and the actual code because if your code changes and it doesn't match the documentation the doc tests in your elixir application will fail so i hope other languages will try to um try out this functionality and implement it in the languages but so far the only language i know that does this is elixir and it's pretty awesome which is you know very much of a incentive if you want to use elixir so if you're using if you're using elixir try this out seriously this is pretty fucking great If you're working, or even if you're a student, you're sometimes asked to make presentations, uh, you know, make reports or explain something, teach something to uh, people, right? Maybe your co-students or if you're talking in the conference. As a programmer or as a coder, you are sometimes tempted to, I don't know about you, but I am sometimes tempted to create slides using code. And I actually do that uh, quite a bit. Uh, some of my you know, conference presentations are written with code, but it's not all the time because it is usually difficult to do. Right? Um, coding is sometimes difficult, so it, you'll be hard pressed to use uh, PowerPoint or some other software to create your presentation or web-based software but as a coder it it still brings us to some extent some joy to make presentations using code so there are a lot of tools for that one is spectacle which is by formidable labs but there's also this newer one called mdx-deck which allows us to create presentations using mdx now, MDX is a format which combines Markdown and JSX. So basically, we can write Markdown and add JSX there. So what's the point of this? Well, you can add React code to your presentations. Right, so you can add uh, interactivity into your presentations that were uh, before we were a we were unable to add to markdown presentations right so with this uh well this is a, a new project so don't expect it to have some too many features but it is actually pretty uh awesome so if you have the time and you're you're making a presentation definitely check out mdx deck and compared to the other methods of creating presentations like you know actually making html files or just play markdown with no interactivity this i guess the best of both worlds so definitely try it out mdx deck I've been playing around with Reason for quite a bit. So it's not a surprise that I have thought about building a library in Reason. And so I did. I wrote a maybe monad library in Reason ML. Right. So its name is Reason-Maybe 
which is a little anticlimactic, but it does serve the purpose. Right. And then, yeah, some people might argue that optional is enough, but you know, it's not. <laughs> uh, yeah, because even if it does function to some extent, it still misses uh, some points. Like, for example, if it returns an optional, that's a problem. So that's why there's there's the monad for that because we can just chain it and then uh, we'll just get the value. And so it's uh, an overall a little improvement on optional and it also uses optional. So if you want to try it out, just import it into your reason project. If you're into data science research, or maybe just research in general, you might want to try out Stencila, spelled S-T-E-N-C-I-L-A. So it's basically a combination of uh, like Word, Microsoft Word, uh, Excel, and Jupyter Notebooks, something like that, something similar to that. So you can imagine the, the power that you can get from this. So you can run R and Python in your document, but you can also have uh, the freedom of using a word processor and a spreadsheet, which is uh, easier to use if, uh, if you want to deal with data in a visual manner. So if you, want, if you do research or do data science research, definitely try this out. Also, it's open source. So it's, uh, yeah, you can use it freely in Mac, Linux, and in Windows. So there's nothing to lose. Definitely try this out. If you have difficulty trying to figure out the proper stack for a particular project or for your team, you can check out DrySTack. So you can access it by going to drystack.io, D-R-Y-S-T-A-C-K.io. So in there, you'd have a list of technologies and a list of possible stacks. And then when you click them, for example, if I click on JavaScript, right? So I would have a list of possible clients, a list of possible servers, and possible of a list of database technologies along with others, or M testing, typing, styling, etc., etc., state management are all there. So you can just take your pick, you know. So if it's difficult for you, if you, you have no idea what, what kind of technologies you can use for building your for building your applications, you can try out DrySTack. One of the major concerns when using GraphQL is the issue of caching, right? So, but there have been a bunch of libraries created in order to deal with that problem, and a new one has been added to the list, and that is FlashQL 
I'm not actually sure to, how to read this, but it's spelled F-L-A-C-H-E-Q-L. Call it Flasher. Is it Flashe? I don't know. But it says it is a fast and lightweight and flexible client-side cache for GraphQL. Right, so it says that FlashQL has the ability to do partial retrieval of cache of cached data based on search parameters. So before that, like you know, data loader doesn't have that, for example. So this is a, a feature that is unique in Flash QL. But the thing is, Flash QL is still a work in progress. So I advise against using that in production. But it would be uh, great to actually watch the development of this project, and maybe someday it will be mature enough to be used in production. Right, so definitely check this out if you're trying out uh, caching in GraphQL. If you're not convinced, maybe you can just try, um, you know, data loader or Apollo server, right? The engine, Apollo engine, in, in order to deal with caching. But this is definitely an interesting uh, project with a, an interesting take on caching with GraphQL. If you're ever bored with traditional methods of building web applications like using JavaScript or PHP or CSharp.net or ESP, why not use C? Core is an easy-to-use web platform that can be used to write scalable web APIs in C. So if you've never built uh, anything with C, or if you're bored with traditional methods of building web APIs, maybe you can give this a try, right? I don't know if I'll ever do this, but this really seems an interesting uh, take on web development because, you know, it's C. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely something to watch out for. So if you ever get bored, definitely try this out. Again, uh, it's Core, K-O-R-E. And that marks the end of this episode. I have decided lately that I want to move to another topic. And so the next episode of This Week I Learned will be the last for this season. So in the next season, the next series of podcasts I will be doing will be on a bunch of tools so this will be a know your tools series so we'll be tackling uh, investigating a bunch of tools to some extent in depth if you can call it that so we will try to look at some tools in depth we will try in order to see what makes them unique and what differentiates them from other tools and how we can to use the tools to the greatest extent so definitely check that out which uh, will be probably coming in next month so the next 
episode of This Week I Learned will be the last for this season. So we'll be switching out to another series, which is Know Your Tools. So with that, I'd like to close this episode and see you next time.